Um, hello and welcome to A Woman's Place. Um, my name is Christina. Um, I'm coming to you from the Shkaravin Hills of West Cork. Do you know about this Shkaravin, Circa? No, no, tell me. Oh, listen, I was on the phone to my mother. Everyone needs to hear about this. I need you to teach it in school. I need everyone to teach it. I was on the phone to my mother. <clears throat> she was like, what is pure scaravine? I was like, what? I've never heard of her. I heard her say this in my life. I was like, what, what is scaravine? And I got out the notebook and I took it down. And she was like, it's a, it's a, a mix of dry and hard weather from winter and spring <clears throat> when you'd be thinking it, it should be getting hot it should be getting warm and there it was on tg4 actually literally as well like they did a little piece on it and um it's from uh what's the word for wind in irish Gwaefer. Gwaefer. which is the the wind of the cuckoo so the cuckoo used to come back into ireland around this time and be a menace to the weather and cause like choppy waves and like the, exactly this weather we're having where it's like cold and there was hailstone and Kerry like as in perfect it, th- this weather is a perfect description of Scaravine so okay. um yeah and like everyone I've told is just like oh my god I love it and I'm like yeah it's good um so it's Scaravine S-C-A-R-A-V-E-E-N and you can find an article on it uh, uh, on the Irish Times as well. So yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love I love words like that. She'd be coming out with things sometimes, and I'd be taking them down and uh, making my own little like Irish mom dictionary. <clears throat> but anyway, um, I'm Christina, and this is. Sarika, and today we are bringing you a new podcast on the link between technology and violence. Mm-hmm. So it's something that uh, we've been speaking about for a while, and it was really brought to the forefront recently with um, Elon Musk. And Christina's going to tell you a little bit about where we kind of got the idea from. Yeah, so I just um, when I saw I saw two things recently. One was an Elon uh, 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 an article about Elon Musk's rockets. Do you remember he's trying to like get a, he's trying to go to Mars, which I genuinely think he is trying to go to Mars, but also these these rocket systems that can go around the world in five hours, which he wants to, which he's like instead of airports kind of thing, but he's trying to sell them to the U.S. military. So red flag there. Also, um, yeah, um, also. A, in New York, in New York City, they they in New York City they um they were testing out the Boston Dynamics robot dog thing on the streets, and I mean now terrifying, terrifying, yeah. So that just reminded me of this of this um of this kind of like unhappy marriage. And I suppose we all understand that technology leads to changes in our lives and um, different things happening. But I don't think like in our lifetime, in millennials lifetime, has there been a technology that we have like very, very clearly associated with 
something really violent happening. I don't think there has, like there hasn't been like, oh, look at this discovery. And now it's like, it's it's being led to used in I warfare. The, the only kind of one that I could think of there would be like unmanned drones. Yes, you know, they have them like example. in the desert in America, sitting there shooting like Palestinian and Syrian children and the hospitals and schools and everything else. Um, yeah. So those, that would be it. That would be my big one there would be the unmanned drones. But we just kind of wanted to go through like some of the big technological advances in human history and mm-hmm. how without fault they have all brought violence. So just going to kind of define technology. So technology is um, Greek for science of craft. It comes from two Greek words, techna and logia. And it basically means the technique, skills, methods and processes used in the production of goods or services. So um, what we consider to be kind of technology today is, you know, things like computers, iPads, microchips, etc. But actually technology refers to all sorts of inventions of goods and processes that changed the world in some way. So technology been used as pillants like even if we go as far back as possible like our very far back ancestors were making clubs and swords and they were using them to kill animals and kill each other um and there are kind of two types of technology those designed and used for violence and then all other technology uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of how it's how it's divided and that even tells you a huge amount that we only have two categories and one of them is just violence. If you know what I mean, like it's kind of mad that those are the two categories that we have. Yeah. But um, so for this podcast, I read a book called The Social Shaping of Technology by two guys called Mackenzie and Weichmann. And they argue that the human species is distinctive from all other species for its tremendous use. A few others take limited use of tools, such as primates, but only humans use tools to make more tools, which leads to an acceleration of technology over time. And since the earliest invention of tools, humans have used them for inciting violence. So the link cannot be overstated between technology and violence. And we just kind of wanted to go through some of the what I consider to be the big technological advances um, on my side and kind of on Christina's as well just discussing really like what, how inventions, even of non-violent technology, lead to violence because of kind of the human psyche and the human experience. So the first one that I wanted to start with, Christina, if it's okay with you, is yeah. farming. Um, so we, we, we discovered and began to farm um, about 12,000 years ago and it was discovered um, farming was kind of developed in the Levant, which is modern day Egypt, Syria and Jordan. And because this kind of ended for a lot of tribes of people, it ended the hunter gatherer experience. So instead of needing to move around and be nomadic, they began to settle down, build lasting shelters and live in larger groups than before. So one of the huge knock on effects that this had was the idea of my land versus your land Mm -hmm. and the lust for resources, land and water water took hold which led to a huge change in warfare now people were better fed people had more time on their hands um, to invent things and before this warfare was kind of more ceremonial so you went to battle with another tribe but realistically not very many people died 
And it was usually um, more of a kind of a flexing idea. Like, you know, I'm going to flex my muscles here and I'm going to show you that I can defeat you in battle and then you're going to go away and let me be. Mm -hmm. Um, But with this new greed for land and resources, it now became desirable to actually wipe out the other group completely, Mm -hmm. get rid of them completely or subjugate them so that you could have their resources. And around this time as well, for the first time in human history, people such as priests, for example, were now able to live off the work of others. So no longer did you need to go and hunt and gather. You could just kind of sit down and wait for somebody to bring you your wheat or your bread or whatever it was that they were farming at the time. Um, Again, this led, as I said, to the idea of my land versus your land and the idea of kind of territories and borders and kind of, um, again, it was it was all about the, the worst of the human condition in my, in, in my kind of, my opinion is greed. It led to a huge amount of greed. Uh, mm-hmm. You have this, we want it. And that, that kind of is the basis for pretty much all warfare. You have something that I want. Um, so farming was one of the, the biggest technological advances that humans had made. Like if you think, 200,000 years it took them 190,000 of those years to to figure out farming and by the time that they did humans began to settle into as I said larger groups than before and began putting down permanent roots in places which led to the kind of explosion of civilizations for example like the Egyptians who took huge swathes of land or subjugated the people who lived in those in those lands for their own um, greed. So, you know, say the Egyptians took from modern day Egypt to modern day Sudan and lived in that huge swathe of land, taking what they needed or what they wanted from the people who had already lived there. And if the people didn't want to give it, well, then we have an army, we have warfare technology, and we're going to take that from you. So that was kind of the the big first one. Anything to say on that point? Yeah, I wanted to get into, um, because when you're talking there, were you talking about like what, in what, in what, um, where does the idea of um, sharing land and open, um, you know, just like letting the, the, the animals like roam free around the place, where does that fit into to that kind of farming does that get like what what yeah, what so air- farming was like as i said invented in the levant and it took quite a long time for it to spread across europe so while in modern day like syria jordan the middle east etc people were farming in mesopotamia in europe at the same time people were living a very much hunter-gatherer lifestyle where nobody owns anything Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have animals to farm. They didn't have any land. And so they just traveled through the land. Now, usually it would be kind of like a set route. Like we will always spend spring in this area. We will always spend summer in this area. Mm-hmm. They were very temporary shelters, kind of hide skin tents and stuff. And essentially the idea kind of of ownership didn't really exist. Even at this time, just for example, like a woman might have a child and nobody knew who the child belonged to. So the whole village would raise the child. 
because yeah. no, none of the men knew who the child belonged to. Um, there wasn't really this idea of, of, of this is mine and this is yours, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that that really came, that idea really came with the permanent settling. Because obviously, if I'm going to build my house on this piece of land or I'm going to farm this piece of land, then I'm going to claim it as well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that it's mine and that you can't have it. So yeah. really that idea of this is mine and this is yours it came with the permanent settlement, which came with farming. As I said, as as you know, there obviously would have huge areas of land that belonged to nobody, mm-hmm. and that. But you couldn't farm those without claiming them. You could I gather see. from them and you could hunt from them without claiming them. But you certainly couldn't set up a house or set up a village. What would right. be the point if 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 you weren't going to say that it belonged to you? Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, I and suppose so, I wanted to just um, touch on the point of um, technology as as the shaper of society rather than like so even even now we're living more online and our society is becoming more and more online same as the way a new technology such as farming shaped the way people lived so that we are responding it's like it's almost becoming a a social and cultural determinant um technology is but i wanted to touch on one that I learned about, which was like so surprising and I was like so shocked, but papyrus. Um, so papyrus was used as a writing material, um, uh, obviously from um, from Egypt. And it was one of the main reasons that the Roman Empire was able to expand as they did. So um, the the reason was because they could map and they could plan and they could send communications in like a short a shorter period of time rather than um you know send direct instruction from a centralized place and um we i learned this in my um, module what i was doing on uh globalization and um it was so papyrus gave roman armies control and direction at a distance from central bureaucracy roman roads ensured high speeds of military maneuvers without papyrus roads fell into disuse and the roman um empire fell apart and the reason that they didn't have papyrus anymore was because um the egyptians were like ah no actually we're we don't want you to have that there that's ours so we're not allowed to have it so they from what I've read is like it's uh, the 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 um because the Egyptians started controlling papyrus it it resulted in the di- direct collapse of the Roman Empire but then so the Romans mm-hmm. I was just going to say that I I know from my own study that things like maps for example where they were so rare and they were so valuable that they they were actually a big target for other tribes and other Mm. empires that wanted what the Roman Empire had or for example the Roman Empire wanting what the Egyptian Empire had Mm -hmm. and a big part of that as you said was was maps and Mm. even without papyrus they use things like you know vellum like calfskin and stuff Mm -hmm. but the the mapping of the world was one of the big things that the Romans gave us Mm. and which is fantastic But like you said, without it, they would have found moving armies or moving goods extremely, extremely difficult Mm -hmm. because they wouldn't know where they were going. Yeah. Um, In in a direct um, consequence of that, um, which was which led to the stirrup and the stirrup as a technology 
was like it's actually crazy the what the syrup used to I think they 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 when in my reading it's like it it, it came from some oriental some oriental place so like it wasn't um it wasn't what's the word stirrup then so because the roads were in disrepair they had to find a way to get um a horse and our cavalry and everything else from one end of the one end of the road to the other one end of the country of the other without because the roads were weren't able to carry them because they fell into just dis, uh, um, disuse. So the stirrup came along, and so their stirrup because they had a stirrup, they were able to balance on the horse, obviously. So then they were able to pile on more and more heavy armor onto the night onto the soldier and move okay. at great distances quickly across terrain. Now this led, which I was like, it's like. Where is the quote I have? Oh yeah, few inventions have been so simple as the stirrup, but few have had such cataclysmic had have had so cataclysmic an influence on history. The requirements of the new mode of warfare, which it made possible, found expression expression in a new f- form of Western society dominated by or- aristocracy, aristocracy of war, aristocracy of warriors endowed with land so that they might fight in new and highly specialized ways. The stirrup joined man and steed into fighting a new organism. Now, because, because the, 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 um, armor that they were wearing was so specialized and it was so heavy, it took a year to make one suit of armor. And in order to make a suit of armor, of armor, you can imagine, takes an incredible amount of resources. So, to in order to get those resources, and um, and uh, uh, and get the armor to get on the horse, to have the stirrup to get on the horse to move across land, that's how knighthood and and chivalry became a thing because uh, uh, people started accumulating land and resources and wealth in order to um be able to pay for their armor which included like horses which then you needed grain for the horses you needed um all of these different resources to get you on a horse to move you across um across land meant that they started to um like so Roman like I know that um I I know that knights back in the day would have almost always been from a wealthy family because like mm-hmm. you said you can't be a knight without a horse or a sword yeah. so you kind of see this the beginnings of um like nepotism almost where mm-hmm. the only way you're going to get to be a knight is if you already have all of this capital that you can invest into your your horse and your um and, and your armor. And without that, no no king, no lord would take you on under his service because he wasn't going to provide those things for you. You had to have them yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I have a quote quote here. So fighting in the new manner involved large expenditures. Horses were costly and armor was growing heavier to meet the new violence of mounted shock uh combat. Camp camp combat in 761 a certain isanard sold his ancestral lands and a slave for a horse and a soul and a sword in general 
military equipment for one man seems to have cost about 20 oxen or the plough teams or of, of at least uh, 10 peasant families. But horses get killed, a knight needed remounts to be effective and his squire should be adequately mounted. And horses eat large quantity of grain, an important matter in an age of more um, slender agricultural production than ours. So then this leads, so the syrup then leads to the Normans going across and defeating the Anglo-Saxons at the Battle of Hastings and then introducing feudalism into the UK. I'm just going to backtrack a tiny bit on that and just explain to people that the Normans are called the Normans because it's the Northmen and they came from Norway. They're the descendants of the Vikings. Mm-hmm. And the Vikings had a very um, a very rich iron in their home place of Norway. So the iron that was being produced in England and Ireland at the time to make swords, etc., was quite a low carbon iron. And therefore, the Norwegian iron has a much higher carbon content, which actually allowed them to make a very early form of steel. Um, And this meant that their weapons were far superior. So they were harder, sharper and much longer lasting than those Mm -hmm. made in Britain and Ireland. And because of that, the Normans had such power over um, over Europe in general. So they took northern France because the French knew they would not be able to defeat them and they actually gave them northern France. They said, you can just have it, just leave us alone. And then when they came to England in the Battle of Hastings, they defeated the English for a, a huge variety of reasons. For the Anglo-Saxons, they defeated them for a huge variety of reasons. But one was that their weapons were simply better. Mm-hmm. Their weapons were better. They were better trained. Their armor was better, everything. And it was the same when the Vikings came to Ireland. Mm-hmm. It was political kind of moving and shaking that stopped the Vikings from taking over Ireland completely, as opposed to them not being able to. They were able to. They just chose a political route instead. Um, and again, the invention of something like iron had huge knock-on effects, the least of which would have, like, as you said, been the stirrup, because you would have need to have made the stirrup out of iron, you know, mm-hmm. and what what that allowed you, what that allowed you to do and how that changed kind of the course of European history, that very simple um, invention, like yeah. you said, of the stirrup. Yeah, like, in, or, like so, then we have, like, better technology now, the rest with the ability to move it at such speed um, meant that it... Um, that it had a devastating effect and and therefore like the expense resulted in, in reshaping the economy from strip farming to land holding because it needed all of these resources from the land into war as we'll see like repeated again and again throughout history like it's the it's the farmer and the poor the peasant who has to fund these big wars to take over other lands um it's all all really like it's it's a question it's a of mobility of and of, yeah yeah it's repeating yeah for sure like every new technology leads to as we're going to see leads to just more warfare that's really interesting mm-hmm. though about the syrup not actually something that i would have considered to have been such an important um such an important invention obviously you know it's great you can hold on to your horse better but i definitely didn't consider it to be like you said a thing where it gives you such an advantage over your enemy. 
just mm-hmm. the one small, tiny, quite simple, to be fair, piece of technology that gives you such a huge advantage over your enemy and leads to, as you said, feudalism, which ruled Europe from oh, from the ninth century to the Renaissance, essentially. You know, yeah, it be- was 600, 700 years. Yeah, because before the like the cavalry and the carriages and everything else would have needed roads in order to get places. So to be able to get over terrain that didn't have a road and to bring all your weapons with you, like that was revolutionary. Definitely. So the next one that I have is gunpowder, which I think doesn't need a huge amount of explanation, except Mm -hmm. to say that it was invented in the Tang dynasty in the ninth century in China, and it was popularized by the Song dynasty in the 11th century. And with the Mongol invasion of Europe, of Eastern Europe in the 1200s, that's what brought it to Europe. And over time, the people built on what their what, what had previously been discovered. And eventually it led to guns, bombs, cannons and explosives. Um, its use in, welf- in warfare is very well known. But one of the things that I thought people might not have thought about was its use in the railway industry. Mm-hmm. So its use in blowing up tunnels, blowing through mountains, etc. And the decimation that the railway industry brought in America. Because while England had what we call railway mania in the 1840s, where they built huge numbers of train tracks in a very short period of time, allowing people to um, allow food to move much easier across, mm-hmm. allowing people to move much easier across Britain, Britain had already, for want of a better word, been discovered. You know, there was no real surprises in Britain at that time. But you compare that to the expansion across the American West and how that expansion was inextricably linked to the expansion of the railroad Mm -hmm. and how the railroad brought nothing but death and destruction to the people who, the Native Americans who had previously lived in those areas. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the railway brought nothing but death for them and Eventually, black powder was um, was taken over in the late 1800s by nitroglycerin. Um, people often think, oh, obviously black powder to do with guns and weapons and stuff. But I think they forget about its um, industry uses as well and how it how it how it helped America to move um, people, colonizers, basically across the entirety of um, coast to coast in America. Um, I just have a little uh small thing to add to that the the railroad was also the reason why farming became such so concentrated in one one area in america because you had to you didn't have refrigeration at that time so you had to move massive amounts of cattle from from say one part of the country to another um and so it would you could move them on these on these on these trains like livestock because otherwise they wouldn't like you couldn't kill a live like a cow in Alabama in and Texas then, yeah. yeah and then transfer it so it was able to like move um move them around to get slaughtered more in 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 the in the city area um so yeah it also that's why you see these concentrations of farming in uh, and definitely in a place like America where the railroad coincided not coincided, but was very, very, very like. I mean, it's not very old. Um, it's not a very old society, so you know it wouldn't have been too entrenched with its systems. It was still developing, and so like that's 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 how that set in. So anyway, yeah. Uh, so my next one is the printing press. Mm-hmm. So 
I think everybody knows Johannes Gutenberg invented the printing press. The first book he printed was the Bible. I think we all learned that in school. Um, but I think what a lot of people maybe don't realize is that um, Gutenberg printed the Bibles at, at first, but you know, he was a businessman. He'd print whatever anyone brought him to print. And eventually the 95 pieces of Martin Luther fell into Johannes Gutenberg's hands. Um, and obviously he was selling the printing presses as well. He was both printing lots of books himself and also selling the patent and the model for the printing press so that other people could build it and print it, print themselves. Mm. And the 95 Theses, for those of you who might not know, were um, Martin Luther's 95 problems with the Catholic Church. He nailed to the door of Wittenberg Church. Oh my God, in, he was the Jay-Z um, of 1500s. 1500s. I got 99 problems. He, Only it was 95. Martin... Yeah, Martin Luther really was um, was obviously revolutionary, but he was also somebody who um, he felt so strongly about his problems with the Catholic Church that he was willing to put himself in massive harm in order to tell people what had happened and what was going on. With the printing of the 95 Thesis and with the printing of Martin Luther and people like John Calvin, John Knox, um, their ideas about religion, this led to people being forced to choose sides, you know, because previous to this, everybody was Christian, one religion, fine, everybody gets along in, in an ideal world. But after the development of the printing press and the, the dissemination of all of this information about what the Catholic Church or the church at the time was actually doing, obviously to a lot of anger. And it forced people to take sides as the religious schism kind of took off. So now it was like Lutherans versus Catholics. And this led to literally so many wars. It's, mm. I couldn't even name them all for you. Like within the wars of Re Reformation, the, there was a document called the Peace of Augsburg. And the Peace of Augsburg was uh, the Holy Roman Emperor essentially saying like, you can choose your religion for your society. So if you're the Prince of Westphalia, you can choose the religion that the people in Westphalia must follow. But obviously not everybody is going to want to follow the religion of their ruler. And this led then in turn to even more wars, such as the Thirty Years' War, which as you can imagine was quite bloody. And this, this, this printing press and the dissemination of the ideas that it produced made people sit up and take notice, but also choose sides. And that led to, like, think about all of the wars of religion that we've had in Europe mm -hmm. and in plenty of other places, but particularly in Europe. And how many people died for what they believed was the right to, to um, express themselves religiously, but again, was an idea backed by greed, backed by early forms of capitalism that if you don't agree with me, this gives me a reason to get rid of you, usurp you and take what is yours for me. Um, so the, the printing press, I think, is probably one of the most important inventions um, of all time, obviously, but particularly when it comes to warfare, because now not only can I, can I print, say, things like Martin Luther 95 pieces, but I can also print propaganda and a huge amount of it. I can print pretty much whatever I want and I can stick it up wherever I want and let the chips fall where they may. And that's what that's what happened with the printing press was that people began to read ideas not in Latin and in their vernacular language instead. And this led to huge schisms in the Protestant church. So we've Catholics and Protestants, but within Protestants, then obviously you have Lutherans, you have Calvinists, you have Presbyterians, you have Anabaptists, you have, and I can keep on going, you know? 
Mm. And that was because of the printing press. If Johannes Gutenberg hadn't invented the printing press, realistically, the Reformation wouldn't have happened with such speed or possibly wouldn't have really happened at all because the Catholic Church would have been able to shut it down. Um, The reason they weren't able to shut it down is because the the printing press could make the printing press could make so many leaflets that the Catholic Church simply couldn't stop them all. Yeah. It's interesting also like whilst he he printed the the 99 thesis, the 95 thesis, 99 problems, um he also printed the Bible. So in doing that you're able to help the dissemination of those ideas whilst also simultaneously um aiding in the destruction of those ideas which is kind of like a a dichotomy that you see um with all of these inventions they have both a creative and destructive um outcome essentially yeah Uh, which actually no yeah both of these things are i mean they both end in destruction both of these things are destructive like actually both of those actions are destructive it's just that like in the moment like like i suppose yeah it's is it better that people have those ideas yeah that's that's a creative endeavor but um at the in the end of the day it led to violence even if it's like righteous violence against a tyrannical um theocratic theocratic theocratical society you know definitely um so that was in the 1430s and i think we all know that like from the 1400s onwards, the technology, the rate at which technology was being invented in in very in various different areas began to really kind of speed up. Mm-hmm. So like one person would invent one thing and because of the dissemination of information, another person would very quickly tack on another idea onto that. Um, and an example of this is the Caravel ship. So In the kind of 1440s, 1450s, lots of different people began trying to improve the sailing ships of the time. And one of the ways that they that they improved it was under the patronage of this guy, Prince Henry, the navigator of Portugal. Um, And he started a sailing school, which allowed all of these people to come together. And they they began to change the, the idea of what 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 is a ship? So instead of having these small kind of fishing boats with one sail, one mast, now they had tinker built ships, which means that essentially not as much water gets into the ship. You have a much better ballast in the ship and a much better balance in the ship as well. So Mm -hmm. you're able to actually sail much longer distances. So they were tinker built. They also had lateen sails, which are these um, triangular sails that allow you to tack against the wind, which previously they couldn't do, um, which propelled them further and faster. So this meant essentially that they could go fast, go further and faster, navigate better and find and discover new areas. So Mm -hmm. the Caravel and the Latin sails allowed Portugal and Spain to to explore the west coast of Africa, uh, underneath the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa and up to the east and to India. And these were the ships that Christopher Columbus took to America. And as time went on, as I said, like the technology became more and more and more advanced. And by the time of, we'll say the 1600s, now you could get to America on a, with a good wind, you could get to America in six weeks from Europe. Previously, that journey had been three months, four months. And so that shortening of the time allowed the colonization of the Americas. 
Yeah. They didn't have caravels or latine sails. They would not have been able to go into deep water like the Atlantic Ocean or survive the storms that the Atlantic would throw at them. Mm-hmm. And obviously the colonization of America, I don't think I need to explain how terrible that was for all of the people that lived there and yeah. how equally terrible it was for Europe as well because of the greed and the kind of eugenics that the 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 new world brought because if we have the new world and we have all this land to farm but we don't have anyone to farm it we 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 invented slavery essentially mm-hmm. we reinvented yeah. slavery almost actually yeah because we had like like europe had slaves in the you know the very very early days of society here um and then they were gotten rid of because it's wrong and then in the 14 and 1500s they were like oh actually, no, we're going to say that this is okay based on the idea of race. And we're actually going to invent the idea of race yes, here now as yeah, well so that yeah. we can subjugate these people. We're going to invent it now so we can subjugate these people because they're not the same color as us. And that's going to give us the right, apparently, to ship them you know, straight across the Atlantic and um, make them work or kill them uh, and yeah. sell them. And that that all is because of the invention of the caravel. If the caravel hadn't been invented, then we wouldn't, Europe wouldn't have been able to get out into the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. And that leads me very nicely on to my next point, which is um, how quickly the Industrial Revolution followed the age of discovery. So when, when Europe went to America and they discovered all of this land, huge amounts of land um, that were there for farming, the American, the the kind of American um, industrialists, and I don't mean American as in nationality, I mean American as in based in America. Back then, people would have still considered themselves to have been Portuguese or Spanish or, or English or whatever it was. There was no kind of American identity at that time. But what they, they what they knew was that now they had lots and lots of land and lots of slaves to farm that land. But we have no, um, we have no one to make the products. So we're going to need to use our technology to make these products. So throughout the Industrial Revolution, the textile industry was one of Britain's and America's most profitable industries. And it put an end to the old cottage industry and it moved people into the factories. Um, Mm. It began began with an invention by this guy, John Kay, and he invented a thing called the flying shuttle, which essentially allowed you to weave at a faster rate, but you're still using a hand loom to weave. The flying shuttle just makes it a little bit faster. But like I said, the these waves of technological advancement eliminate each eliminated the need for more workers. So with every invention, like the flying shuttle and the spinning jenny and the power loom, they all eliminated the need for as many workers. And power looms reduced demand for skilled hand weavers, and which caused reduced wages and unemployment. And huge protests followed these. So there was this group of of um, of weavers in Nottingham, and they were called the Luddites. And they were based um, based in England, and they were a radical faction. And they believed, basically, and they were right that this technology would strip them of their livelihoods. Um, so they attacked um, textile machinery. They went into the, the the factories and they broke the machines with pickaxes and hammers and set them on fire and um, kind of attacked all of the mill workers and the mill owners trying to get people to not engage with this new technology so that they wouldn't lose their um, their jobs. 
the a lot of them were also owners of workshops that had closed because the factory had replaced them or the factory could sell the same products for less. Um, this this kind of culminated in a an actual revolution in Nottingham that went on for five years, um, where the people refused to, we'll say, um, they refused to work in the factories. They refused to uh, kind of play the game, for want of a better word. They 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 just wouldn't do it. And even today, a Luddite is somebody, it's referred to as somebody who is anti-technology. So somebody like, you know, the Unabomber in America, mm. um, he would have been a Luddite. So he would have been like really anti-technology because for various reasons like his manifesto really spells it out for you i watched that netflix documentary on so interesting but he would have been he would have been considered a luddite because he, he believed that technology brings nothing but destruction um and this this whole textile industry uh is going to lead us something really interesting we're actually going to see now in a second um so after that invention of the power loom the machines became the factories and machines became almost fully automated the only people that were there would have been uh, women and children because they were small and could fit under the machines to pull out any errant material that had gotten caught mm-hmm. in the machines so a lot of men were unemployed at this time and that led to a lot of unrest civil unrest and societal unrest um and at the at a kind of a similar time in America the cotton gin was invented. So the cotton gin was a machine that separated the fibers of cotton from the seeds. And previously to the invention of the cotton gin, it would have taken um, it would have taken one slave about 10 hours to separate a single pound of cotton fiber from the seeds. But by the invention of the cotton gin, that moved to 50 pounds of cotton every day, every, every day that a cotton gin could separate. And this created hugely profitable businesses in the antebellum south so cities like new orleans louisiana mobile alabama charleston in south carolina they experienced a huge boom in their wealth so because of that the region became even more dependent on the plantations and therefore even more dependent on slaves and so what that meant was now they were actually importing even more slaves from Africa because they now could up their production so much because of the invention of the cotton gin. And this basically transformed the American South into the world's first agricultural powerhouse. So Mm -hmm. with the invention of the cotton gin, this allowed them to produce so much more cotton that the profits, it was actually obscene, like the amount of money that they were making was unspendable. You know what I mean? Like they, there, it was pure greed. Like there was no reason that any one human being should need this much money. And the the cotton production led, like sorry, the cotton production rose from around seven hundred thousand tons a year in seventeen ninety to three point two million in eighteen fifty, which is insane. Um, and the 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 slaves that were brought from from Africa to to produce this also absolutely shot up. And actually, this is one the cotton gin was one of the indirect causes of the American Civil War right. because the South now had so much money that they essentially considered themselves to be untouchable by the Union. You know, they they considered that those laws don't apply to us because we are so rich. And we have so much control over our area that 
whatever the union says, it doesn't matter. We are not going to listen to what they have to say. We don't have to. Well, I was actually, well, I was actually um, watching an interview recently that the common uh, belief of the reason why the union, the, the, the war happened was not because the South wanted to do their own thing. It's because certain states were doing their own thing, i.e. allowing um, slaves to be free. So that there was a, a, a law um, overall and that the there were certain states in the North that were like basically saying, no, we're, we're going to do our own thing. Same as, as like the sanctuary cities now, that they weren't abiding by federal law and the union... Uh, and the South then wanted to to secede in order so that like well if they're not going to do it then fuck them basically so like yeah so there was a there was a part of America and it was uh, the South was separated from the North by a line called the Mason-Dixon line and beneath the Mason-Dixon line there was slavery Mm -hmm. and above the Mason-Dixon line there was no slavery but one of the things that really pushed the American public towards the belief and obvious belief that slavery was wrong was that slaves who escaped across the Mason-Dixon line were being chased by slave catchers from the south Mm -hmm. and these people might have lived in the north for 10, 20, 30 years as free men with jobs and a family and everything else and along comes a slave catcher from the south and just because you're black they'll grab you and bring you back to the south and sell you Mm. into slavery and that was one of the things that really pushed the American public to um, agree to the war, essentially, was because um, the abolition movement was gaining such momentum because yeah. of these poor people who had been free for 10, 20, 30 years or who had never been a slave, who were the children of free men and had never been a slave in their lives mm. and were grabbed from the north of America and brought to the south and sold into slavery. And because this is all, this is line, all being said. driven by the Breed. by cotton cotton production. By the, cotton, yeah. yeah. By the cotton gin, by cotton production. Because obviously, if a cotton gin can produce 50 pounds of cotton a day and previously you were producing one pound, you're going to need to grow a lot more cotton, pick a lot more cotton. Mm-hmm. And they were not willing to pay people to do that because that would have right. etched into their profits. And so instead they just kidnapped people. Mm-hmm. And from Africa and from from the North of America. I mean, and, yeah, it would have been easier them. to grab them from the North of America than from Africa. And it was free to grab them from free. the North as well. You have to yeah. like you only to, you had to pay the slave catchers, but I think some of those sick bastards would have done it for free. To be honest with you. Hmm. So my next one is we're moving into the 18th century, and it's the invention of the telegraph. And I think yes. that this mirrors what you said about papyrus. Um, because the telegraph was an almost instant messaging system that allowed messages to be sent, not just across America, but all across the world, and was used for the first time in the Crimean War, um, the British Crimean War, and then the American Civil War, and the First and Second World War. So all all of those wars were hinging on the fact that the telegraph worked, that they could send messages, encoded messages, and um, get more troops, get more supplies, etc., um, allowing them to gain get greater control of the areas that they were invading or subjugating. Uh, particularly when it comes to like the First and Second World War, the, the system had already been set up. And so there wasn't even a need to 
you know, train people or anything like that because it had already happened. Yeah. So like the telegraph basically allowed for the expansion of the American West. Like without the telegraph, they wouldn't have been half as successful or half as fast mm-hmm. in the expansion into the American West. Um, like telegraph poles were going up at a rate of knots. Like, you know what I mean? They were they were huge business in America. And the messages that could be sent across America for death and destruction were numerous, like on the telegraph, basically, you know, Mm because Washington was controlling everything. But now they could talk from Washington to California in the space of a minute or two minutes, which is very, very different from like the Pony Express that would have been there previously, which would have taken weeks to get that message across. Mm -hmm. And again, it leads to more globalization. Um, like Australia was the last country to be connected by telegraph, like the last Western country, for want of a better word, to be connected by telegraph. And Australia was connected in the 1860s. Like, so it was quite within, say, 30 years of the invention of the telegraph, essentially nearly every country in the world that had the power, like the electricity to have a telegraph would have had a telegraph. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would have allowed the, the movement of messages across. Um, so the next one that I have is... Um, the invention of the oil drill. So the oil drill was invented by a Polish pharmacist, um, Lukovic. I'm not pronouncing that right, and I apologize. Um, he invented in 1856, and he invented the, fir- the world's first double drill and refinery. So instead of having a drill in one area and a refinery in another, he added the two together. And we cannot overstate how much our world depends upon oil at the moment and has for the last nearly 150 years like America's America's kind of wealth after the civil war went away from things like cotton tobacco sugar and onto oil because they had discovered so much of it the entire reason the Middle East is the shit show that it is at the moment is because of the West's insatiable lust for oil Mm -hmm. like Britain in particular as usual, they are at the forefront of all bastardly things. And they were at the forefront of exploiting the Middle East for oil. Um, like the Saudi Arabia is a country that is completely built upon oil. And the House of Saud was put in power. Well, I mean, they, they were powerful before the British, but the British were the ones who really cemented their power and cemented their uh, Wahhabism and their ideals around religion and culture because the British allowed them to do that and allowed them to have all of those ideas because of how much oil Saudi Arabia had, you know, and how much oil the British could extract from Saudi Arabia. Same with Iran. Um, The reason that the world had such a problem with the Islamic revolution in Iran was not only because of, of of its human rights abuses and stuff, but also because Iran has huge oil reserves and the West wants that oil. Like, look at the Suez Canal, look at what happened only less than a month ago and the Suez Canal shut down and the price of oil shot up because that is where the majority of the West's oil is coming from. It's coming from the Middle East, which is why America and Britain always have to have their finger, and Russia always have to have their finger in the pie in the Middle East and why they have to essentially bring death and destruction upon those poor people because we want our petrol, we want our oil um, and we want our plastic. You know, um, like just as a side note, like the invention of plastic became so popular because it is a byproduct of oil. And without the invention of plastic, without the rampant uh, flooding of the world with plastic, they would have been left with all of this oil byproduct that was worthless and useless. Mm. And so 
all the various types of plastic that we have are all byproducts of oil because the industry wanted to sell us and make us take and make us consume their offshoots and offruns from the oil industry. Well, like, it also would have been really difficult to store that. You would have been you would have been needing to like where would you have put it if if you exactly. had to pay for storing it? Then you would have had to dump it somewhere, and that would that's have what they would have popular. done. But now that it's yeah. being dumped in the rivers and the sea as plastic, it's far less offensive. Um, to and you us. can put the blame on us, then you see. Yeah, they can put the yeah. blame on us, then you see. Interesting. That's the thing. Um, like I think a lot of people don't realize that we actually have a cellulose-based plastic and have had a cellulose-based plastic since the 1930s, 1940s, sorry. You know, Henry Ford, as much as I didn't like him um, because of a myriad of reasons, none of like the least of which that the man was an absolute lunatic, he did invent a cellulose-based plastic back in the 40s. And the Americans basically told him, shut up, put that away. We have more important, we have bigger fish to fry at the moment. We've got the Nazis to, to, to kill. So just put that away and we'll talk about it later. And by the time that, that that was rediscovered in the 1950s, oil had become the number one, the number one resource. And therefore plastic had to be pumped out to, to the world because it was a byproduct of oil and the cellulose-based plastic, which would have broken down and would have been far more environmentally friendly, was was not economically viable. They didn't want to they didn't want to use it because they wanted us to use the oil runoff byproducts. It's, it's interesting to note that, like uh, it's, it's interesting to note that, like of course, as with anything, it exists because there is because it's a choice like I think that's one thing I've learned in my adult life is like it exists because it's, this is a choice someone wants it to be that way but also to note like how many more things have plastic on them in the supermarket and is that a result of more oil being produced that there's more oil being produced and used now that like it's you know what I mean like they're just finding no, I don't think, finding places I don't to think use that it, it is you can uh, yeah, use it I think that's what they're the, doing you can use it like maybe it's not the oil industry but the plastic industry wanting to wanting well they're one of the same to, wrap. Really, to be honest with you yeah I mean like oh we'll wrap your orange here or like yeah I mean I, I do like, not I do not shop in supermarkets unless I absolutely have to and I go into the English market every week and I buy my fr- my vegetables loose if I need to go if I go to supermarket a super value for instance as I have or Don's and I go in and I'm just like blah blah game. Okay. It was actually done in Cork City. I was in, and I and I was like, I can buy nothing without. I think it was a Sunday. That's why I needed to buy there, and the market was closed. Um, everything had plastic on it. I came home and I was crying because it was just like, now look how much you know the 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 cost is being. I mean, we don't pay for our bins, so that's di- different. But if I was living in a house then I would have, you know, my plastic. And if it was weighted, which it's not, but like they wanted to be, was weighted, then that would cost me more because of, um, which some people's are like in different places, but it would cost you more, the more plastic you produce. So, or not produce, but use. So it's just like, oh, it just it kills my yeah, soul. Yeah, it's kind of how so I feel plastic. like about, about like buying bottled water. Mm-hmm. Like people, like Evian and Ballygown, they do not sell water. They sell plastic bottles. Mm, yeah. That's what they sell. Um, and like with the with this kind of um, obsession of putting the responsibility for that on the consumer, 
which is what all these companies want because they do not want us to turn around and say, actually, 100 companies produce 70% of the world's emissions and the entire other 7 billion people on the planet produce 30%. So maybe if he copped on a small bit, they don't want us thinking that. They want us thinking it's all personal responsibility. Like you said, it's like you feeling bad about how much plastic that you've bought when really what choice did you have? Do you know what I mean? Like, if I want to buy something that is not available in the market, in the English market, for example, then I am forced to buy plastic. And I don't want to, but I am forced to. And now I know there are some little shops that are starting up where you're able to buy things, bring your own, bring your own, um, bring your own containers and buy things. We're a long way away from that in Ireland. We're a long I've, way. I've seen them are in England and America, and they're fabulous. And I wish we had them here, but we don't and therefore we're forced to buy things like why like you said oranges like why the fuck are you wrapping an orange in plastic it has its own Madness. bloody protectant they had you know I, I saw mean? a picture on the internet the other day and it was like this woman on twitter being like good morning to everyone everyone except the person who did this and it was a picture of a coke can in a in a plastic container wrapped in cling film oh yeah i believe it Mad. I just wanted Mad to point it. out as well, just um, you know, with this increasing with this increasing increasing technology is increasing complexities, which actually just real which translates to increasing resources, which is far more energy and far more um and then as a result, far more byproducts. So like um Flying like a, 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 a like having a plane today and flying that will w- is not the same as flying a plane in the 1930s, you know. It, and I was it, literally going on to airplanes next. Yes, that's perfect. actually so funny. So the airplane was invented, as we know, by the Wright brothers in America, and obviously first they were very very simple kind of two one or two engine planes that were made of wood, um, and then eventually made of metal, and now made of metal and plastic. But the airplane, obviously, number one, huge leap forward in how fast you could travel from one place to another. Now, like transatlantic or transocean travel took, obviously, a number of years after the invention of the airplane because, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. And the the rocket fuel that, well, the airplane fuel that they take is another byproduct of oil, obviously. But... The invention of the airplane, like it totally changed the face of warfare and of globalization. As we've spoken about before, um, the the ability to get from one part of the world to another in a mere few hours instead of weeks or months completely changed everything about our lives. So now you could move from one part of the world to another or visit one part of the world to another very, very easily. And also products can be moved across the world very easily. So this led to things like, you know, invasive species. Um, I saw the other day that they found a dying Africa, uh, a dying Asian murder hornet in Dublin. I saw that. Terrifying. Um, but the reason that that Asian murder hornet is here is because of how fast whatever it traveled in traveled <gasps> from where it was to here. You know, yeah. last year they found a saw snake in um, in a shipment of granite from India, one of the world's most deadliest snakes in Ireland. St. Patrick would not be happy about that. Not happy. 
definitely not. And so after the airplane, I had the radio and I kind of I know I spoke about the telegraph and instant messaging and everything else uh, earlier. But the radio is so much more than that, because telegraph is a message from from one person to one person or from one government to their representative or something like that. Whereas the radio allows the government and particularly government to spread a message amongst its populace almost instantaneously. And the radio was invented in the very early 1900s, around 1906, but it didn't really become hugely popular until the 1920s when governments began offering the radio at a very reduced cost. Now, whenever the government offers us anything at a reduced cost, my ears prick up because the government is not our friend. Mm -hmm. And why would they be doing that? So I'd like to take one case study of Germany um, in the 1920s. And Germany in the 1920s, as we've spoken about before, it was a very liberal place. It was the Weimar Republic. There was um, LGBTQI plus relationships weren't really a big deal. Um, there was huge advances in art, culture, film, music, everything. And then the radio became really popular. And so people began bringing this into their houses and being being kind of um, swayed by the propaganda that was put on the radio. So Joseph Goebbels, who most people know was one of Hitler's right-hand men, he was the minister for propaganda, he he basically said that the radio was the most important tool that any government could ever have because of what you could, what you could, the information that you could disseminate through the radio. So the one of the main reasons that so many people voted for Hitler in Germany was because of the propaganda that was on the radio about mm. about the Nazi party and of all of the information that was being put out through the radio on behalf of the Nazi party and on behalf of people who believed in fascism. It was all spread through the radio. If the radio wasn't invented I don't think that Hitler would have managed to gain such a vote. Now, that's not to say that he still wouldn't have got into power. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that I think it would have taken him a much longer time. And perhaps he wouldn't have got into power without the radio because mm -hmm. it was the propaganda that made people afraid and the fear caused them to vote for him. Yeah. Now, there was a... One... I was just going to say that, like, we, I, I think it actually w works in both ways. It can like accelerate the situation and also accelerate the the ex decelerate that same situation. So, for instance, the other day I saw this clip on Twitter of these Italians, like maybe a hundred of them doing the Nazi salute. I mean, they're all lined up and they were give being given orders and they were like shouting their whatever things that they were shouting. Um, and so that's terrible. And obviously they have been able to coordinate in a much faster way what it would have taken far longer for them to, they mightn't even be from the same geographical area, for instance, say, seeing as we see with like the COVID protests now, you may, you yeah. wouldn't have had like a hundred people or a thousand people come up from West Cork to um, Cork City, but you'd have two from here, two from there, two from uh, 10 from over in Limerick, 10 from Tipperary, you know, from around the place. So that allows th them to, to connect uh, uh, like untethered from the land kind of thing. Um, but it also allows for you to 
see it. So like um, on, on Twitter, on Twitter, people are able to see it and then they're able to react to it in a faster way as well. So it might, it, it could be like the Trump presidency, whereas it, it rose to a peak and then it came down very quickly. I mean, he only had four years. We don't know what that will result in later on, but it's interesting to see that it is a, an acceleration of things happening. But I would, I would propose or theorize that it also leads to a deceleration that's in a social context i don't know about like yeah it could be political as well but yeah that was just my injection there yeah and then the the kind of the last one that i now obviously we're going to talk about the internet as well but the last one that i i had kind of really heart in my mind was nuclear fission Mm -hmm. so the invention of nuclear fission in the late 1930s changed pretty much our entire world um the idea that nuclear fission was you know a great source of energy a great source of um of clean essentially free energy was amazing but like we said at the start all technology is divided into two categories that those used for warfare and all other technology and while nuclear fission wasn't originally like the idea what nobody, no scientist went into it going, I'm going to make a great weapon out of this. Once they realized that it could be weaponized, mm-hmm. it brought it brought the the closest that our our species ever came to destruction. Yeah. Once like they dropped those bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And once the world now it took many years for the world to fully understand what had actually happened in those places because the American wouldn't allow the images out mm-hmm. um, because they knew what the opinion would be of the indiscriminate murder of half a million people on one day. But the entire Cold War, and now still the entire world, is based on the idea of um, if you shoot me with a nuclear bomb, I will shoot you with a nuclear bomb, mutually assured destruction. Mm-hmm. And when you think about how many countries have developed nuclear weapons, they are the greatest threat. To, I know climate change is a threat and I know global warming is a threat and all the rest of it. But in terms of immediate, actual wiping out of everyone on the planet, the only thing that could do that is either us crashing into the sun, which is not going to happen, or nuclear warfare. Mm-hmm. Like how close the world came to complete destruction in the 1960s through to the 1980s. We actually still don't fully understand it because the documents haven't been released. But like, there is an anecdotal story. This was just going to say this. I know that you're going to say, but yeah, this is like such an interesting story. That the uh, the Russians, um, the, all all nuclear weapons around the world require two keys, which makes sense. Okay, so they require two people to turn the key in at the exact same time for the bomb to be launched. So the idea is that you know everybody will be happy to launch the bomb if there's two keys. And in Russia, their alarm warning system went off saying that the Americans had fired a nuke at them. And one man with the key was all gung-ho, I'm going to shoot I'm going to shoot the Americans with, with the bomb. And this other man, um, he said, no, he said, I think we should wait. And the whole station was screaming at him, what are you talking about? We shouldn't wait, we're all going to die. And he said, no, we need to wait. And he waited. And it turned out, as we all know, the Americans had not fired a bomb it was a glitch in their warning system Mm -hmm. and that one man 
he stopped because you know, you know as well as I do that if the Russians had fired a nuke, the Americans would have had no fucking hesitation in firing one back. And then the mm-hmm. Chinese would have fired one and the Pakistanis would have fired one and the Iranians would. And we'd, we'd all be in a nuclear holocaust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To say that anybody, even two people, even 20, 200,000 people, any amount of people have the power to destroy the entire world is so scary. And now people are starting to realize that actually governments should not have the power to do that and trying to decommission a lot of the nuclear weapons now. Mm -hmm. Um, But we still have, I think it's 11 or 12 countries that have nukes. And just just the idea that somebody in a small office thousands of miles away from me who's never, you know, maybe stepped outside of their country has the authority to fire a weapon like that is very scary, I think. Yeah, I think that um, the the beginning of that discovery, wasn't it Einstein's M equals MC squared? Or, MC squared. yeah, so that it was his discovery of that that led to the creation of the nuclear bomb. And I think it was, I think I've read that he like really regretted releasing that information, but obviously you can't. Well, there know. was a guy from the Manhattan Project um, and he was interviewed about it. And he said, how, they said, how did you feel afterwards? Um, Oppenheimer. And he said, um, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds, which is um, the great Lord Shiva from Hindu religion. That's one of mm. his, um, one of his stories. He says, I, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. And Oppenheimer really struggled with what he had done because they had done tests, you know, they had tested. So for example, in the Bikini Atoll, they had tested and they had um, ignored basically what had happened to the people in the Bikini Atoll when they did it. They didn't want to know the results. They didn't, nobody went down and checked. They did it in the middle of, you know, the Nevada desert and um, with dummies and stuff, but they were small bombs. They were nothing like um, the bombs that they dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm-hmm. And they, I don't think they fully understand they fully understood the destruction that nuclear power has to our DNA as well and how it lives in your DNA for the rest of your life and in your children's DNA um, and the deformities and the cancer and the terrible effects that it can have upon people. And they're still having today on people in Japan um, and in Chernobyl as well. Yeah, I don't think that, like, I mean, I think Americans talk about I talk about the nuclear bomb and and they don't really comprehend it. It's like almost too shocking to even, it's almost too shocking to actually comprehend, but it didn't stop them from using chemical weapons in the future because in Vietnam they used Agent Orange and they used all kinds of different... uh, They covered uh, it off. Yeah, and they covered it off again. Like, I mean... Like the lads who dropped the Agent Orange, like the lads who even transported Agent Orange from the warehouses to the planes they began suffering from really rare forms of cancer and really rare skin diseases that was killing them. And the American the American army was just like, no, 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 that's not happening. Go away. They knew years before the, the Vietnamese even came out and said what Agent Orange had done to them. The Americans knew. Um, and they kept, they kept 10 years they were dropping Agent Orange on Vietnam. 10 fucking years. And what did to the people over there? Um, and what it did to the American soldiers as well. Like, I'm not saying I can understand them not caring about the Vietnamese. I'm not saying that at all. But when your own soldiers come to you and say, this is killing us, and they go, no, it's not, shut up. 
that just baffles me. You know, I it's don't understand how you, yeah, you could give such, you couldn't care less, basically. Is, yeah, dehumanization even of your own soldiers, you know what I mean? Exactly. Just to the point that you came back to, or that you talked about with the radio, I think it's very interesting in Irish society how prominent and important the radio is. It might have something to do with our oral history because it's like, I mean, radio is not dying out and it's one of the main places that political um, discourse happens, like one of the one of the most important anyway, because it's like, I don't know, did you listen to the Sarah McInerney uh, interview with Owen Harris the other day? I didn't listen to it, but I oh saw my God, listen a lot of the commentary to, uh, on when she ate she him. Listen to, to it. It's, it's not even, I mean, like, yeah, she's excellent, but you need to listen to him, to, to listen to him, the kind of absolutely, he roaring down the floor at her, phone at her. But um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's, I think it's interesting how, how radio uh, still remains prominent. And we're going to get onto the internet in a second, but, you know, uh, Terence McKenna talks about the internet and he's dead now. And I don't know if you know who Terence McKenna is, but I do. Yeah. Yeah. Terence McKenna is the, um, the mushroom guy. He loved taking mushrooms and he was like a philosopher. Um, he wrote a book called the food of gods, many books talking about mushrooms and how mushrooms were the, I think he wrote the, did he write the stoned ape or was that someone else? Um, talking about how he how mushrooms led to the the development of the human brain and thus um, allowed us to be who we are and thus evolution. Sorry, but you know, like you listen to this podcast, you might think, "Oh God, technology is terrible." And yeah, technology is terrible. Like technology has been used more and more by um, to accumulate power, to use resources, and to control more and more people. Uh, I think the next the next step will be really, really rich people getting like neural links and fucking all this stuff. And I don't think everyone would be getting that because I think it would be too expensive for all the peasants to have that. Um, so I think they'll move beyond um, the realm of humanity and become like, um, become another become further away like from humanity. Yeah. But Terence McKenna talks about the internet. He was very excited about it. Uh, he predicted it. He didn't, I don't think he lived to see the internet really take off, but he reckons that the internet and what is happening with merging of machine and people would, is, is leading to the next great human evolution. And he believes that the pains that we are experiencing now are the pains like the childbirth of us moving into another, another, uh, um, uh, evolutionary step. And like, you know, when I was reading about, reading about, um, about technology, there's this quote here that talks about James Joyce and James Joyce's, um, uh, work you know Finnegan's Wake that 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 Mm -hmm. is actually a um a commentary on on um technology and social change so Joyce was probably the only man ever to discover that all social changes are the effect of new technologies self-amputations of our own being on the order of our sensory lives 
It is the shift in this order, altering the images that we make of ourselves in our world that guarantees that every major technological innovation will so disturb our inner lives that wars necessarily result as begotten efforts to recover the old images. So you see this from like, I think in our own generation, it's definitely nostalgia for for more simple ways of living. Yeah, so we were the last generation to to know life without the internet. Yes. Without the home internet, sorry, for want of a better word. Like, um, we would have been... The well, last, and that actually, that's mad to me, isn't it? That's, that's actually, that in itself is mad to me that children who were born from 2000 onward have no idea in the Western world, have no idea what life is like without the internet. Do you want to talk a little bit about the internet and we can have a discussion then about, um, about yeah, the effects so, about it? Yeah, of, of course. So the, the internet, um, a lot of people know that it was kind of invented by Tim Berners-Lee in 1999. But what they don't know is, like we spoke about, all of the processes that went into allowing Tim Berners-Lee to invent it, to, mm-hmm. to give him the technology to, to be able to invent it. So um, on just like a lot of other things that we've spoken about, um, it was all to do with warfare. So during the Cold War, the, um, the Soviets launched a Sputnik the satellite into space in 1957. And it didn't really do very much. It just um, relayed leaps from the radio transmitters as it circled the Earth. To the Americans, it was proof of something uh, really scary, that while the Americans had been focusing on stuff like cars and television sets, the Soviets had been focusing on far less frivolous things. They had been focusing on technology and the commu- specifically the communication technology. So after Sputnik launched... America um, formed NASA and it also formed ARPA, which is the um, Department of Defense's Advanced Research Projects Agency. So they wanted to develop um, computers. And what they did was they had a fear that the Soviets would be able to hack the telephone system and therefore also the telegraph system in America mm. and that they would be stuck with no communication. Wait, so- can I just, go to, just pause you for a second? The Trump, <laughs> I mean, we're seeing this with Facebook and the elections, LOL. That's all? Yeah, literally, yeah. It's not mad. Um, so in 1962, a scientist called um, JCR Licklider proposed a galactic, what he called a galactic network of computers that would be able to talk to each other. And this would allow government leaders to communicate even if the Soviets hacked the telephone system. So... Then another guy invented packet switching. So packet switching allows data to be broken down into packets before sending it to its own destination. So the packet takes its own route from place to place. So instead of needing to like manually type in all of the information, you put the information in the packet, you put the packet in and the packet knows where it's going. Mm -hmm. So by the end of 1969, there were only four computers connected to this very, very early form of internet using packet, da- packet data. But by the end of the 70s, a computer scientist called Wittenkerf, he allowed a, um, he invented a way for all of the computers on the world's mini network to communicate with each other. So this was like the re- the earliest form of, um, of the internet. And it was what we might call today like a LAN party, like where you can communicate with all other computers on your network. So all computers that are connected to your Wi-Fi network can talk to each other. 
Mm-hmm. That was what he invented, essentially. But he still hadn't invented the idea of like me being able to talk to you in Dublin from Cork. Mm-hmm. Um, so that came in 1991. So that was Tim Berners-Lee, where he was able to basically, instead of needing one packet sending files to another packet, he invented the web. What mm-hmm. we refer to, what he called the World Wide Web, what we refer to as the internet, and literally like a spider's web, every network connected with every other network through, you know, like there would be lines that would connect and that would allow you to send a message all over the world. So um, moving on from that, then we then internet browsers were invented, the first one being Mosaic, um, and then Over time, things like Google were invented. And then with the invention of Google, um, the the real kind of um, the power behind the internet became quite clear. So with the invention of Google, people realized that they could search on the internet now for for information that they needed, which is great, which is one of the best things about the internet is that um, just with a mobile phone or a tablet, you essentially have all of the information in the world at your fingertips. You know, and that that's amazing. That's the first time in human history that that's ever happened. And like that would blow the mind of somebody even from the 1920s or 1930s. You know, like my yeah. granddad lived to be um, my granddad lived to be 95 and he was born in um, in 1921. And he remembers like the first time his mother brought a radio home and how enamored mm. like they all were with it. And by the time that he was in his 90s, he was using the Internet, yeah. you know. Oh. And he was searching for things like his favorite thing used to just be to go onto YouTube and look up old television programs from when he was a child or old it, radio programs from when he was a child and the nostalgia like that he'd get from that, you know. Listen, and that's an amazing invention. My dad's downstairs watching watching videos on YouTube of tractors. There's a field outside with a tractor in it. Do you know what I mean? He's trace living Loved his best, best life, like living his best life. I will just say that like um about google it's so it's so very interesting how it's devolving is because it is um it is led by profit and advertising using google now is actually a pain in the hole because it doesn't give you it doesn't give you the correct it gives you adverts like if you if you are looking for um picture of a a blue top so you just a picture of a blue top it'll show you ads before it shows you a picture of a blue top you know what I mean so it's like it's um it I think it's seriously devolving into just I mean it is a marketing platform but it's seriously devolving into I think there'll be it's going to be like Facebook it's just going to be absolutely useless unless you're looking for very specific things like it's just a business tool now um yeah. yeah when I said like you know the the Americans really started the internet because of their fear of their military prowess being interfered with mm-hmm. the reason that the internet is global as opposed to just American is again because of their military when uh. you think that the, mil- the U.S. military maintains 800 bases that we know of the official ones there are 800 official U.S. military bases in over 70 countries around the world. And that is why the Internet is global as opposed Mm. to just America. That's why we have a World Wide Web as opposed to an Irish Internet. They wanted to connect to each other across space and time. I see. Yeah. They wanted to be able to send messages from their bases in Singapore to their bases in Djibouti to their bases in America. 
and let it be instantaneous and as fast and as secure as possible. And that is why, like, if you think, you know, the America that we've spoken before about, um, like you said earlier, Donald Trump and Facebook and the Russian interference and all that, like when the Soviet Union fell, right, there were hundreds of thousands of Russians who had their whole life, their whole kind of job had been trying to hack into these American security systems, you know, trying to hack into the nuclear system, trying to hack into the communication system. And then you had all these highly educated, highly experienced people who were left with very little to do. And so they became targets for the nefarious side of the Internet, dark web, hacking, um, manipulating voters, voter registration, manipulating banks, manipulating like even we'll say like the PlayStation network, which which to be honest with you is quite a harmless network, if you know what I mean. Like there's not mm-hmm. there's no government data on the on the PS4 network. And yet they managed to hack it and get the information of 500 million users. And that's where the money is now. The money is in data mining. The money is in is in user information. And the Russians have such a one-upmanship on the rest of the world because of all the Americans trying to protect it. And during the Cold War, anything the Americans tried to protect, the Russians knew it was important. And so they Uh, would try and hack it. You know, like, yeah, sure. That's why for like, for example, Snowden, like that's why Russia is protecting him Mm. is because he knows what's, he knows those systems. He knows what's going on. And while I'm not saying that Edward Snowden is selling secrets to the Russians, I'm saying it's not a coincidence that Russia happened to be the country that was willing to take him in. Yeah, you know? for sure. Same was, with Julian Assange. Like, I there's go- no one. I, I was just going to say, like, it, it's just incredible. The more things that you have and the more technology you have, the more things you hoard, Hoard. the more things, the more you need to protect it. So it's like the same with the fields and you, you needed the, the, you know, you had the, it will say the, the cotton, uh, the slaves. So you had to have... um we had to have the slave catchers to 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 um, protect your industry. Your, in case your interest, they, yeah, yeah, your interest. Uh, but if you have, if you have, even if you imagine if you won um, the lotto in the morning, you would need someone to manage it, and then someone. If people knew you had all that money, you'd have to have someone to protect you then, because more people would be wanting to. Um, wanting to take the money off you potentially that that would be your fear actually maybe more than a reality but like if you look at america the reason it's so protect is so protective everything the reason it has such a strong defense system is because it's hoarding so much it is hoarding so many things because it has stolen so many things but um yeah yeah. definitely um like when when we think about globalization like globalization is not possible without technology you know we've Mm -hmm. had globalization since the very dawn of time like how do you think you know not you obviously but like how does anyone think farming got from the Levant to Ireland if not for technology if not for people taking technology building upon it but all technology as we have said it allows humans to express the worst parts of the human psyche Mm -hmm. the parts that enjoy murder and have greed and as you said enjoy hoarding things like the bright like like the like america does um it's it allows us every new piece of technology allows us to do something worse to our fellow humans so with the invention of computers there was the invention of um of data and kind of like the ability to store data so there's a law 
it's called Moore's Law. And Moore's Law states that technology specifically to do with microchips gets twice as fast and half the size in every 18 months. Mm. And if you look at the, if you remember the computers that we would have used as children, the Windows 95, they were huge. They were bulky. They were big. Screens were really big. The CPUs were really big. And now I can do, I can do triple what a Windows 95 could do on um, on my phone. Mm-hmm. There is more technology in my mobile phone than there was that sent the man to the moon. And there's uh, and honestly, like you, your phone could be smaller only for the user, oh, yeah. only for the user needing it. So that, that that's also a, a characteristic. Like your have your you phone... ever seen a Raspberry Pi? No. So Raspberry Pis are like these really small computers that you could essentially fit into a matchbox. Wow. But it's a full computer, but it's the size of a matchbox. It's crazy. Like, it's absolutely crazy. So that, those were my points on technology. And I just think it's important for people to realize that this, like we, we spoke about the Boston Dynamics dog at the start. It's important for people to realize that that's not the start of it. Not by, that's been coming a long time. Like every single piece of technology that's ever mm-hmm. been invented has led to more violence. Mm-hmm. regardless of whether the, the technology was invented for violence or not and it just it's crazy to me yeah it's I think it's this constant it's this constant use it, it's a like the funding of many of these projects are, are is public money so NASA was funded by public money uh Sputnik was also um you know the Soviets were very um technocratic they uh they loved their their measures and their data and their invention of uh, different things. But it's all like, even in the US, all of that stuff is socially funded, but it's socially mm-hmm. funded and then privately used. So a big, huge part of, of, of like all of these technologies is that we don't vote on them. Like we're not voting on how best to use these, how best to regulate them who is allowed use them who uh, for what and for what purposes they're just going into private hands and they're developing whatever technology that they want there's been some you know ethical consideration and that has been potentially breached in um the in china last year the story came out where um a chinese scientist had uh, altered the dna of uh, zygotes so had tried to create yeah designer babies now we don't know if it's true um because apparently like he has said he's done it but we don't know we don't know exactly who those people are or like there's no information because it was done on the black market so it's like you know you have these like evil scientists like um yeah and i think i think i think i think a lot of us when I was talking about Terence McKenna earlier and talking about how these are the, you know, the the birthing pains of like moving into the next evolution, we are also having birthing pains for every different technology that comes out. You know, like our, we experienced it when we got computers, we experienced it when we got phones, like, um, and now we're experiencing it on a mass level of like social anxiety and, um, and, and so, and kind of like, you know, a lot of, 
online discourse is very, very negative because it's like disembodied and it's um, all to do on the, you know, it's all coming from the mind and the mind is a very reactive and angry thing if you, if, if it's fed into these algorithms. But, you know, we should, the, I don't think the answer is not, not using technology. I don't think you can convince people not to use technology, even though when they use technology, often people have this nostalgia for, for olden times. And that's why I think it's like a Taylor Swift thing, the cottage, the cottage core. Did you see that? Cottage core. So it's like, can you explain that? I don't actually have the, do you have an idea what that is properly? It's just kind of like, it's just kind of like another fashion trend where, well, I suppose Part of it's the fashion trend of, of very, very like soft materials like pastels and mm. florals and things like that. But another part of it is this idea of kind of becoming a witch and living in the woods, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, and kind of not not um, not not dealing with society. But people like don't get me wrong, I'd love to become a witch and live in the woods. Like that'd be great. But people want the best of both worlds. Yeah, like people hark people hark back to this idea of, oh, the simple life of our ancestors. But a hell of a lot of our ancestors died before they turned 50 of horrible preventable diseases. You know, one in three women died in childbirth. One in five children died before the age of two. But it's so not even not that. You don't even to have that. to go on to the more mortal things. Like people come down to West Cork and get pissed off at the internet. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they would be pissed off just this by is, the slow internet. They want their world. They want mm-hmm. their world and everything that they have and all the things that they have access to, but they want it in a pretty setting. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, like living yeah. in an urban, living in an urban center, as we do, like, as in there's things that I don't get to see. Like I have, you know, I don't see a lot of nature as much as I would if I lived in the countryside. But you have to take the rough with the smooth. And mm-hmm. part of that living in the countryside is being away from shops, being away from people, being mm-hmm. having a poor Internet connection um, in Ireland. Anyway, not in other countries, I no. know. But the cottage core thing, I think again it's moving with this kind of idea of eco-friendliness and mm-hmm. people trying to become and live as eco-friendly as possible mm-hmm. um, which is something that I definitely like I, I definitely try to do like I have made bit like choices in my life um, with regard to the products that I consume trying paying a bit more for them because they're better for the environment yeah you know so just things like um, I don't use uh, body wash I use soap like hand mm-hmm. soap like not yeah, hand soap too. sorry bar like barrels of soap mm-hmm. because I was going through like one thing of shower gel every two weeks um that's more plastic being added to yeah to the, to the dump every two weeks so now I mm-hmm. use solid bar soap instead yeah me um too. these you know bamboo toothbrushes like mm-hmm. small things that can make a difference um and like obviously nobody's perfect there are things that I still use that are probably not so environmentally friendly but unfortunately because we live in Ireland the options are quite limited where you compare to somebody like who lives in America who has an option to go to a an eco shop or order from an eco shop online that will deliver stuff that you can use around the house in place of things that aren't so great for the environment. But we do not really have that here. Yeah, well, much. in in New York, you can't even get fresh your 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 ability to get fresh food from anywhere is is terrible like I mean you're you have to shop at those Amazon stores or at Walmarts and uh, and after that it's like small farmers markets that are out in the sticks and you you know are not convenient at all I mean I think a lot of um, America cities are like food deserts in 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 some ways but um 
No, when it comes to technology, I, I don't think that you, I think the the experiment with technology is despite the warnings about it, people will use it and continue to use it. However, I do believe that people would want um, it to be developed better, used better, regulated, and um, to have some kind of conversation around it. And not just like continue seeing what these private, like powerful people are coming up with, which, you know, as we've, as we've discovered, a lot of the technology that we get our hands on as as ordinary citizens are the byproduct of something very sinister and very violent. So, like, yeah, it's, and 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 also, it doesn't even benefit everybody. It it is, um, it's only benefiting certain countries, and I'm sure you can guess which ones they are. And like Facebook at the moment are trying to bring everyone the internet. Uh, in the third world and developing countries. And you know what they're doing? They're allowing them free internet access then onto Facebook. So like the internet becomes for them Facebook, you know, um, yeah. which is obviously, it's a, it's, it's digital, it's, it's digital co- colonization. You know, it's like, it's very, uh, it's very scary. And it would be, I think that we have to look at, at making our um, our uh, politicians really have that conversation, have a regulation. Our it. politicians can't understand stuff like that because they're old white men. They're like, so old. So they're true. so old. They don't. They don't understand. Like you know, they don't understand anything really of of the new internet. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, as in, every time that our government makes a law about the internet, they're making a law about something that has been a problem for a long time mm. already. You know, like making, for example, making the 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 sending of images um that 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 aren't of you to somebody else a crime. That that is a long time coming. That yeah. has been a serious problem for women on the internet for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And it's only now they're getting around. And I'm glad they're getting around to it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, not shitting on them for, for getting around to it. I think that was a good step forward, but it was very late, you know? Yeah. I think, when you um, think that this has been a problem for a long time. Yeah, it has. It has really has. I think that like, uh, I was going to bring up there. Oh yeah. Remember what you said when you were talking about earlier about the telegram and I was trying to make a point about like, Oh, uh, we're building up on complexities. The thing is like now, now these technologies are becoming, Oh, what was my point there? It was like the telegraph was using the paper. Oh yeah. I'm going to tie it to tie it to COVID. So the telegraph, Oh, this is a new technology, but also building on the complexity of um, map creation, aeroplanes, submarines, maybe at that time, telephone or uh, radio wires, whatever exists. I don't know. Telephone and radio probably weren't at the same time. But like, you know, it had all of these other things to aid it into um, uh, as a technology to bring about destruction, basically. But now we have a situation with the with the vaccine and nobody's having this conversation except Russell Brand. Like Russell Brand is the only person I've seen have this conversation where um, the green passport for the vaccine. So like when the name, when the name of the game, as we're talking about, 
on the internet is data mining. Then to tie the ability to be able to get on a plane to your, to your, um, to your health, which has been a thing. I mean, that's not a new thing. You, if like, if I was in Cambodia for too long, I would have to have to get, to get, um, to get certain x-rays to look for TB in order to go to Australia. Um, if you're from certain parts of the world, usually um, Africa or Asia or South America, you have to get certain tests before you're allowed to apply. But that is not the same thing as what's happening here, which is like what could happen here. And I'm not saying it will because I don't know how advanced they are, uh, how good they are at organizing things, but we'll see. Um, basically, tying your vaccine information to a digital centralized I assume centralized hub that then controls if you're able to go places but then who owns that data then and are you going to sell it off like everything else like just like the government sold off are trying to sell off water they tried to sell off um, electricity it's semi-state owned now would they also sell your uh, private uh, medical information and that is a I I just uh, there's no conversation about that again like people I haven't been made aware of the danger of like oh yeah you'll get a green cert so you can just get on a plane and go on your little holiday oh and in 20 years time because you had COVID and I have a record of it here on this digital thing because you had to get like your vaccine in order to go to or your test in order to go to um uh spain that time you're not allowed to have health insurance or whatever it is you know or i'm going yeah, to send so I you think the most important thing about that is to see how it applies to the gdpr because gdpr is quite a strong law like it actually mm. is in europe in the eu gdpr applies to so much stuff and the penalties are fairly severe for going against it but what i like you said like what i'd like to know is how are you going to use that data? So just for example, like we already have biometric tracking. If you ever avail of like a public services card in Ireland, your face is scanned. It's not a picture. It's a scan. Like they, they, they biometrically scan your face to see, um, see what, who you are and um, if you've applied for a public services card before and things like that. But is that data just stored on, for example, the Department of Social Welfare servers and not given to the Department of Finance, not given to the Department of Agriculture? Or is that information being spread all around? Because I gave you the permission to take a biometric scan of my face for the Department of Social Welfare, not for the Department of Health, not for the Department of Justice. So that is, but that's it is what like, we need to see. We the, need to see the what fact that are you're doing it. The fact that it. you're using a biometric scan, like this is just another example. It's the same as using, as it's the same as uh, police using military grade weapon on the uh, on the streets of america because it's a byproduct of the army because the army are producing so many weapons again and again and they are discarding it they're selling it off to these people as well what need is there for there to be a biometric scan of your face when a picture could do like that is just someone has sold that technology and it's like yeah. you know what i mean it, there's absolutely no need for it so it's just like I think that's, that's, I don't want to go to the UK. I never want to go to the UK or I don't want to go to America because uh, I like going to those airports, honestly, and being like CCTV everywhere. I hate it. 
They absolutely yeah. hate it. I actually think our next podcast, that's what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the newest technologies that are emerging around things like biometric scanning, around things like retina scanning mm. um, and kind of how that information is used and stored because it's very scary, like you said, to imagine that foreign nations and our own nation have that information about you. You know, so we're going to look at things like DNA um, sequencing from companies like 23andMe. Mm-hmm. We're going to look at the retinal scanning and biometric scanning that is, is was, was originally army technology and has now become governmental technology. And we're going to look at an exciting new development in the spying and selling of data. Yeah, so that's going to be our next that's going to be our next episode so thank you guys so much for listening thank you really appreciate it and we'll talk to you guys soon have a lovely day bye, bye.